Good morning. Today's scripture is from the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took them by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, Why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, and that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Thanks, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Redeemer. Uh, it's appropriate on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day first, uh, but it's appropriate on Mother's Day to uh, continue in this series on Acts. Uh, I read somewhere uh, at some point that someone compared the ministry of the Holy Spirit to kind of God's mothering of us, um, and so it's appropriate. Uh, and I, I don't say that jokingly. I mean, this person was serious in that the Spirit nurtures us. The Spirit kind of continues on. Uh, God, we, we think of God as a father. We don't normally think of God as a mother. Uh, but this author was trying to make the case that Holy Spirit really is kind of the, the, the nurturing, the motherly, the, the, the tender um, way that God works. It's just kind of a neat, uh, a neat thing. It came to my mind and I wanted to share it with you all, so it's appropriate that we would be talking, or continuing rather, to talk about the Spirit's work on Mother's Day. We've been saying the book of Acts is 
revival or renewal in example form. It's just a series of examples of what can happen in the church when Holy Spirit continues uh, or, or begins really even to renew. <clears throat> and to summarize where we've been to this point in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends back to uh, uh, heaven to take his throne. And he, and, he, and he sends a promise. He says, wait on the power from Holy Spirit. If you don't have an ascension, you don't have Holy Spirit, right? Uh, and then in Acts 2, he arrives, right? He, not it, it's a person. We've talked about that as well. He comes and fulfills the prophetic promises from many years before, and Peter follows that with a sermon. Uh, and so if those things, by the way, if they began to happen like that around here, we would always follow with a sermon, well, y'all were supposed to laugh at that. Drew got it because he's a preacher. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And then 3,000 people get converted in one day. Talk about a logistical nightmare. We, have, we would have 3,000 people to take through a membership class and then interview and then stand up here and receive. They could all be received and take the five membership vows together, but, man, that would just be... These weren't Presbyterians, let's just say, um, doing the uh, processing of the, the new members um, but as we, as we saw last week, there's a new community that Holy Spirit creates and empowers. And it's one where everything is shared, where the apostles' teaching is heard, but not just heard, practiced, internalized, followed, and new converts get added every day. And that's the kind of renewal we long to see, even here at Redeemer, right? And in our city. Uh, and then today, Peter and John, as part of this new community, they are headed to the temple to pray, verse 1. And an opportunity to illustrate yet again what the Spirit is doing among his people uh, presents itself. And the way to think about this is they're taking the power and renewal of Holy Spirit with them into their community, just as we should be. And I want to try to frame this or at least reflect again and again back on in pieces this definition of renewal or revival that Drew has been referencing. And it's this, his power, that is God's power, His power for mission, bringing us together while rejoicing in the gospel. And so those pieces are going to come into play, I hope, uh, through Acts chapter 3 as we look at this example. So two things uh, you'll see there on the insert in your worship folder. Uh, We're going to look at the the healing of this lame man and then look at the the gospel that really does, the, the, the miracle provides a backdrop for Peter's sermon. So Peter sees the miracle or experiences the miracle and then takes it as an opportunity to once again tell the story of salvation, okay? So those two things. So first, the, the lame man healed. I want to look at him. I want to look at his faith. I want to look at his healing, um, not necessarily in that order. But he's really a picture of the brokenness of our world. He, he's, a, he's an example. He's a metaphor for the brokenness of our world. Look at him for a minute, okay? He has no capability to heal himself. In and of himself, he's completely, utterly, thoroughly helpless, Okay? He had to be carried every day to the temple gate in order to beg for money. And in the first century, much like today, even someone in his state was as good as dead. And so he would have been passed by day in and day out as he had been carried to this point. This is the most religious place to be, the most faithful people going up to the temple, and especially the most faithful people at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, have you ever gone to, the, have you ever gone to church at 3 p.m.? That's usually when... I'm, you know, trying to take a nap or something or siesta. That's not when most people go to church, but these were the most religious, the most faithful people. He's at the right spot begging 
for something, but he was unseen. Not only that, he was lame from birth, Luke says in uh, verse 2. So no amount of silver or gold or monetary gift would actually alleviate his suffering or heal him. He was just begging just to make ends meet, just something to, to, to eat or just to help him get through the day. Now, how are we just like him? Uh, we too, the Bible teaches, are, are lame from birth. We're broken. We may not be lame in this physical way like this man was, but we are definitely lame. We are definitely broken. We are helpless. But our helplessness is often far more subtle than this guy, and the result is we often don't really think we need help. Uh, The Bible, though, in fact, tells us we're dead in sin. We're dead in sin from birth. The truth is we need restoring just like this man did. And it took a power from outside himself to reach in and heal him, not just of his physical sickness, but of his sin sickness as well. Uh, But nothing he did, this is the point, nothing he did earned him the healing that he received, right? Nothing he did. He knew, this is simply all it was, he knew the depth of his need and he asked for help, okay? He knew the depth of his need and he asked for help. And that's the gospel. The gospel really is that simple. It's coming to a place of recognizing or realizing the, the depth of my need and asking for help. Lord Jesus, help me, a sinner, as Brandon mentioned earlier. The gospel is you do nothing. Salvation is all God's work, right? And you gain everything. Uh, And we've said around here before, all you need is nothing, and yet that's the one thing nobody has. We've all got something. And, And yet to admit our utter helplessness is so difficult, so I would, I mean, I would ask you, examine, look at your own life. Where, where is it that you find yourself really struggling, really, really experiencing a sense of helplessness? Because if we admit to it, then we're admitting weakness. Uh, the Bible, though, treasures helpless people. We've been memorizing Psalm 34, and even this month, uh, we're, we're to the verse in Psalm 34 where he says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. In Psalm 10, the psalmist says, to the helpless, the Lord commits himself. To the helpless. Now, why is that? Um, My my wife, Jamie, has for years uh, dealt with some pretty significant uh, stomach ailments, digestive problems, and and so forth. So she's very, uh, her her body's very sensitive to those kinds of things. Uh, And the other day we were uh, headed into lunch, and she says to me, um, hey, uh, remind me, after we eat, i got to take my vitamins. Um, and I said, why is that? Now, she's probably explained this before, but I'm a terrible listener, so she had to repeat it. <laughs> but she said, um, well, if I take them at breakfast, I find that my stomach hurts, and then if I take them at dinner, after dinner, um, I can't go to sleep. I mean, you know, I'm just I can take vitamins 24, so I mean, it doesn't matter to me when I take them or what I take them for. But she's got this narrow window, and she says, so if I miss them at lunch, I've missed my vitamins for the whole day. Now, I forgot to tell her, so she didn't end up taking them that day, right? Uh, not, a very good, uh, not a very good friend to her in that moment. But she said, you know, reflecting afterward, I said, man, I'm, I'm sorry. She said, reflecting afterward, you know, it, the, the thing about this constant, weakness that I've experienced for the better part of our married life or most of my life is that it's driven me to Jesus in a way that I otherwise would not have been driven to him. Because of this helplessness, this, 
this uh, thorn in the flesh, as the Apostle Paul described it. Um, That's her thorn in the flesh, and for whatever reason, God refuses to remove it. But what does it do to her, especially in those hard moments, but pretty much all of the time? She finds herself crying out, Lord, help me. And to the helpless, he commits himself. To the helpless, he moves and is near. And this man was utterly helpless. But look at his healing. Watch what happens here. Renewal, as we've said, renewal is Holy Spirit's power for mission. So in light of the experiences that Peter and John have had in the last, you know, couple of months of their life, think about the last 30 or 60 days of their life, they've seen and experienced some pretty amazing things. So in light of that, look how intentional they are. Look how what they do, they do absolutely on purpose. So verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, this man asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him. Now, I don't know what exactly that looks like, but it wasn't like, you know, I mean, it was, it was intentional. He was staring at him. And uh, John and Peter say, look at us. And this man fixes his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. These two got the fact that as Christians, as part of the community of Holy Spirit, they were bringing renewal with them wherever they went. And so there's something driving them. There's something sending them out on mission. And you see it here with the healing. The healing's a picture. It's a picture of what salvation is. And it's a picture of what salvation does. There's a, there's a holistic transformation here, right? Because legs are supposed to work. They're supposed to take you where you need to go. Humans are designed to walk, not sit here uh, lame and broken and beg. That's not what we were designed for. And so part of this man's restoration is correcting that issue. Because here's the thing. All the miracles in the Bible, including this one, they always do something to fix. They always do something to alleviate human suffering. Now, why is that? Uh, Well, because they're pointing to something beyond themselves. They are pointing to a state of reality, unlike the one we live in now, where things are as they should be, where things work as they're designed to be, where things are as heaven longs for them to be, right? And because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that heavenly reality, even here in Acts 3 and continuing, we believe even to 2016, May 8th, 2016, the, the heavenly reality is breaking in and it's being experienced. Now, more on that in just a few minutes. But this man's healing is a preview. It's an appetizer. Look at verse 8. Okay? So he gets healed and Peter takes him by the right hand and raises him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong and leaping up he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, why doesn't he just walk? Why does he leap? Because of what we read in our call to worship. Because when Messiah comes, as uh, Isaiah said, the recompense of God, he will come and he will save you. And then he, the very next phrase is, and then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame man shall leap like a deer. And I said in the first service, you know, there's a reason that they make those fences on I-75 15 feet tall so that deer can't run or uh, jump over them onto the interstate and get killed. That's because deer really can leap. It's amazing to watch them. It's very graceful. Unless you're a hunter and you're waiting for them to get about right here and pow, right? Uh, But no, the picture's beautiful. The picture's amazing. Because this guy doesn't just walk. He leaps. But he doesn't just leap. He heads straight into the temple. 
with Peter and John, and he begins to worship, right? Because remember, revival is his power that brings us together. And so this man who was once dead, basically, he was all but dead in the eyes of the community. He's now restored to the community. He can now participate in worship with the life of the community. He's no longer an outsider. And people say to him, you can just hear it. People, people say to him, what happened? And like the blind man in John chapter 9, you can just hear him saying, you know, all I know is I was lame and now I'm walking. Like the, the, the blind man in John 9 said, all I know is I, I was blind, but now I can see. This, this man says, I'm human again. I, I'm restored, right? Can you imagine what it was like? Just, just sit with verse 7 for a minute. He took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. This man was lame from birth. He'd never in his life, we have no idea how old he was, but he was a man, so call him 25. 25 years, never experienced strength. But it, this wasn't like a new a calf or a new horse being born where they're, you know, stumbling and fumbling around. As soon as Peter raises him up, man, he's, he's in. He's good. He's leaping, right? He's amazing. The miracle is amazing. But he didn't just need to get healed on the outside. He needed healing on the inside. And just like Jesus, who didn't allow a person to experience physical healing without experiencing inner healing and experiencing inner forgiveness... Peter and John lead this man to praise and worship the one who has saved him. He doesn't just leap up and walk off. He gives credit where credit's due. Heads right into the temple. Lastly, though, look at his faith, okay? Look at his faith. This kind of thing can only happen when someone connects to Jesus, when they connect to his name, right? Because his name is him, represents him. Look at verse uh, 16. Peter says in verse 16, his name by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. When this man's trust, right, when his faith got tied to Jesus' name, restoration happened. Remember the, the uh, definition again. It's his power, his power for mission, bringing us together rejoicing in the gospel. His power right? The power source is Holy Spirit, but the expression is Jesus's name, as if to say, through his spirit, Jesus Christ is present. He's there. Uh, if you notice the, the sermon title, I titled it, A Lame Man Meets Jesus. Now, Jesus isn't physically there, present, but he is there, right? So, when Peter and John say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, right? They are saying, we speak on behalf of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It is as if Jesus was here himself. If, if you and I go, come in the name of someone or something, you represent them, right? So the badge, the person comes to your uh, front door, and they have a badge from the IRS, and they say, you know, I represent the federal government. Give me all your money. Um, or, uh, you know, like an ambassador at an embassy in a foreign country. Right? When that ambassador goes to representatives of the government of that country, they're speaking on behalf of the United States government. It's as if the president himself were speaking, right? So it's a big deal to be authorized to speak for someone. Now, what if this someone was the ascended Lord of heaven and earth, uh, the one who had conquered sin and death, the one who now sits as a king of kings? Because the scriptures tell us Jesus has been given a name above every name, and ultimately... You get a little taste of this again. It's a preview here. Ultimately, at the sound of his name, 
every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's Lord, right? Peter says to the man, I don't have silver or gold, I don't have money, but what I have is renewal and restoration because of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We've come representing him. We've come in his name. They are diplomats, Peter and John, diplomats of the kingdom of Christ. And it wasn't this man's faith that healed him. It was his faith in Jesus as expressed in his name. And all he was doing was this, okay? Listen, all he was doing was this. He was expressing the realization that his need was greater than his ability to fix his problem. His need was greater than his ability to fix his problem. When, John, when Jesus says in the gospel accounts, your faith has made you well, which is often what he said, it wasn't the person's faith by itself he was commending. It was their trust. It was their expression of dependence in something more powerful than them to meet their need. And that's what this man is doing. But it's the work, the energy, the effort to solve the problem comes from another. And so, lest the crowd get the wrong idea, Peter issues a correction and a call to them, okay? And so, secondly, I want to go to his proclamation of the gospel. He takes the opportunity that people are running around, utterly astounded, right? They're following, they're beginning to follow Peter and John, and he's quick to make sure that they do what the lame man did, that is, give credit where credit is due. Look at verse 12. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, and he said, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this man walk? He won't let them be amazed or astounded at, at uh, he and John. Notice how quick he is to give credit where credit is due. It's almost as if he can feel the scene moving to a, a fever pitch. It's almost as if he can feel his ego beginning to expand. Hmm, well, I mean, we did a pretty good thing here, right? I think he's talking to his own heart. Because imagine you're one of these guys, Peter or John. Jesus has ascended to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit. And now you're on your way to travel around and proclaim the gospel. And as you do, really amazing things start to happen. You begin to think, you know, he was right when he said to us, you'll be able to do the very things I do and greater. Now, what would be your tendency? Pass the plate. You know, go on tour. Make some cash. Peter didn't do that, though. It, our tendency when we experience any kind of success, when we become, or better yet, we're just naturally good at something. I wonder if you have something like that in your life, just naturally good at it, naturally gifted. People are telling you about that. People are noticing that. The tendency is we can actually begin to live as if life works without God, as if God's, the reality of God doesn't, we don't really need him. We don't need his salvation. We don't need from him even, right? It all kind of fades into the background because here's the thing. Success breeds strength and strength breeds independence. And that's what ultimately what our hearts want and what our culture teaches us. So where in your life have you been recently experiencing great success? Where are your abilities resulting in your accomplishing what you set out to do? I'm not talking about anything dramatic or large. I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, changing the world, running for president, some, something like that. I'm just talking about the, the little things every day or where life is beginning to work, or where you're seeing success, just in general, where you utter phrases like, I'm good, or I got this. 
But the trouble is that we actually begin to believe that slowly, little by little, over time. We'll do anything to keep from feeling like the lame man here in Acts 3. We will do anything to keep from embracing weakness and dependence because that seems so foolish. I mean, who does that, right? But I, I would ask you, where is it, where in your life do you feel helpless? If there isn't any area in your life where you feel helpless, um, man, I feel bad for you. Because you're certainly never going to cry out to the one who is a friend of the helpless and the one who commits himself to the helpless. But Peter, Peter won't allow us to do that here. He won't allow us to do that, but, but there's also another temptation he won't allow us to get away with. And, and that's a temptation that equates success with God's blessing. It links my good behavior, my piety, my religious report card with God's approval. Peter says, why do you wonder, why do you stare as though by our own power or piety, we have made this man walk. There's a mindset that says, you know, if I go to church, if I tithe, read my Bible, attend community group, serve on a ministry team, you, you name it, whatever it is, that by, by my piety, by my religious uh, activity, I can ensure success. In other words, we've said it before around here, good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell, right? And of course, you know what team you want to be on in the end. But that's a dangerous place to be also, right? Because... Your devotion to God, your devotion to the things of God can actually replace a love for God because you're not serving him, you're serving yourself. You can think, you know, there's, there's no way God's going to reject me when I get to the, the pearly gates. When it's all said and done, he's going to be so impressed with my devotion that I'll be in for sure. And Peter's correction to the people and to us is that religious devotion, moral living, piety will earn you nothing in the sight of God. We're not on a point system, so we can occasionally cash in credits or uh, bank them so that we have enough at the end. And uh, I, I shared earlier with the early service that I have a friend who uh, talks about Jesus points all the time. And he'll ask me, you know, if, he, if he's, uh, I don't know, went to church twice that Sunday or maybe we had vision dinner, you know, finished vision dinner. and be like, hey, extra Jesus points for me this week, right? You know, um, and then he'll miss church like he did today. And, uh, and I'll text him or, you know, say to him, mm, just lost him, right? But, and we're joking with one another, at least I hope he's joking. I know I'm joking. Um, but it, it tells on us because there's something deep in our heart that I think does want it to be true. We do want points. We do want to earn them. I mean, this is an apostle of the risen Lord Jesus. This is a guy who walked and talked and lived with Jesus but Peter, Peter won't let himself get away with that because he knew his lameness. He knew his failures. He knew his helplessness. How many times did he put his foot in his mouth? Do you remember at the very end when he denied his friend? Peter knew his piety was worthless when it was held up to the demands of God and that he had no power in and of himself to be good enough or obedient enough to earn God's favor, and we can't either. So wherever that point is where you're experiencing success or where you're naturally gifted or good at something or where you really can't feel your helplessness, watch out. Because that's the point. That's the place where you're most prone to forget God. That's the place where you're most prone to take credit for yourself. Because it's possible to be very religious but not be a Christian. 
So if you're here and you find yourself exhausted from relentlessly pursuing success in order to remain strong and avoid weakness, or, or if you're here and you find yourself exhausted from trying to earn all the Jesus points that you can, right, uh, that, trying to be good, trying to avoid failure, I have good news for both of you, both sets. Wherever you find yourself today, or you find yourself in an all completely, all, altogether completely different place, the great news is verse 19, uh, 20 and 21, where we will finish. Peter turns the attention of the people to God and his work, and he issues a call to them. He once again turns to the story of salvation. He once again says, uh, hey, I know that the tendency to live with the I got this mentality is so powerful, but remember, remember the gospel is bigger and stronger and more powerful than that, and it can correct that, it can replace that. And the first step or the first uh, piece of that is verse 19 where he simply says, repent. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Turn back, he says. Turn back to what you were made for, to what you were designed to do. That is, to embrace and worship the one who made you. Repentance literally means to change your mind. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, or you're investigating Christianity, what in the world does all this mean? Why do I need to repent? Well, Peter answers that too. He says, we've denied the holy God. We've, we've refused to live according to his word. We've sought to run our own lives. Not only that, I mean, he's, he's pretty stark here. He says our sinfulness reveals a profound hatred of God. We would wish him dead. We would kill him. The one who makes breathing possible, the author of life, he says, the one who puts life into your lungs and every breath that you take is on loan from him, you want him dead. Every human being, in some way or another, is religious. The question is, who are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? And so the Bible calls us to repent. Because left to ourselves, we'd worship ourselves. Or we worship something else. But it's not just repentance. That's kind of the initial step. But look what happens when you repent. Okay? First, repent. Peter says that your sins may be blotted out. That your sins may be blotted out. How is that possible? Because Jesus Christ was blotted out on the cross. He was erased. He was erased. Receiving the punishment due to us as our substitute. So that we can stand before God. We can have a good, good father. Rather than an angry father. Who poured out his wrath on his son there. But not only we have your sin blotted out. Look at additionally what he says Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord may come. When your sin is blotted out in Jesus Christ, hear these three words, okay? You can relax. You can relax. We, we, uh, we are pretty bad at that in American culture. Uh, and Christian culture is probably even worse because of all the tendency to earn Jesus points, right? But when your sin is blotted out in Jesus, you can relax because it's not you that's got this, it's God, Right? You don't have to worry about running the universe by the word of your power because he already does. And if that's true, you can trust him. He says, I'm present with you like never before. Not only, though, does your sin get blotted out and you get times of refreshing from his presence, you get Jesus by his spirit. Not only did he take our sin upon himself, but in exchange for our sin, he gives us new hearts. He gives us new desires. He gives us new lives. 
He gives us power from on high. New power, right? New power that sends us on mission, bringing us together, uniting us around the gospel as we rejoice in it. It's amazing. But lastly, when you repent, you come to taste the ultimate goal, which is the restoration of all things. Peter says, faith in Jesus Christ gives us a taste of the future. Like the lame man leaping, we get an appetizer of future glory and future restoration. And it's why we read Isaiah 35 as a call to worship. That's our future. If you don't read Isaiah 35, and, and, and man, oh, how I long for that. Right? Then something's wrong. You should read Isaiah 35, hear those words, and just be amazed at them. Long for that. That's part of what we long to see, and that's part of what drives us even in our mission as a church. The world is not yet what it will one day be. We would all agree there are many lame still, many sick, many broken, many sad, many worn down. But as I was reminded uh, recently, God is in the transformation business. And he's transforming us, and by virtue of transforming us and making us his ambassadors, making, his, making us his diplomats of the kingdom of Christ, he is transforming the world. And so in Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, we're on the other side of the inbreaking of this restoration of all things. It's not complete for sure, but we can be full of hope. The time for restoring all things hasn't come yet, but he is restoring things slowly, but slowly, but slowly through us. And like the lame man, I think there can probably be a little spring in our step because as, as Christians, we know the future is glorious. And while what we might see around us causes us to be hopeless, you can be assured. And Acts 3 reminds us that we're getting a taste, appetizers, previews, foretastes of this glorious future that is ours. Uh, and so, um, skip around a little bit. Like this lame man, knowing that Jesus has come, that he sent the Spirit, that the kingdom is on its way, uh, and that he will be glorified and honored as a result. We have a glorious future. Let's pray uh, that he would make that so in our own hearts and lives. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for your mighty work of salvation. We thank you that, uh, as we read, that our sin can be blotted out because uh, you were blotted out. And, but not only that, we thank you as, as we have been memorizing in Psalm 34, and as the Psalms remind us over and over and over again that you are a helper to the helpless, that it's to the helpless you commit yourself, and that you're near, that you're close to uh, the, the Christian spirit and, and the, the one who cries out and says, my, my need is so great. It's so beyond my ability to meet my need. So would you come, helper of the helpless, and help me? Uh, may that be our prayer. May it humble us, and yet may it embolden and empower us because Holy Spirit promises wherever we go, he'll go with us, and he'll go with us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. And so as you go, receive these words. It's a promise. Uh, it's, it's good words that as you go, God goes with you. He goes with you in the power of the Spirit. So all the resources that are his in his name, through his name, go with you if your faith is in Christ. So receive these words, this promise, uh, as, you, as you take them, as you uh, take hold of them this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Go in his peace.